Welcome aboard Sing Second Sports. Uh, we are here with another awesome podcast. I am John Schofield, your host. Joining me as always is our co-host Ward Carroll and our special guest Bill Wagner. We are going to get right to it. Um, as we record this on Friday, we are freshly removed from yesterday's hullabaloo, uh, an underused word in our vernacular, um, in downtown Annapolis with the Travis Pastrana jump. Um, Bill Wagner, who is sort of a big deal, check your inbox for the memo, um, apparently got invited by the Pastrana family to the Fleet Reserve Club uh, to watch the jump up close and personal. I'm sure a lot of you saw his expert video. Um, also, yeah, the, we'll, we'll talk about you being admonished for not wearing a mask in a photo later. I thought it was utterly hilarious. Uh, but you you were able to invite Ward down there to uh, to to watch the whole thing with you. Talk a little bit about it. You wrote a great article this morning, um, you know, covering the jump and what it was like. Warden Wags, what was it like being up close and personal for something so cool? Well, I'll jump in first. And first thing I'll say is that wasn't my expert video. That was Ward Carroll's expert video. Ward was standing on a chair with his height, because if those who don't, no, from the because we're a podcast. Ward's a pretty tall guy. What are you like six foot two? Ward, what in that range? He's, six three. He's like five seven. Yeah, totally. He plays six eight. Uh, six six seven with the afro. So anyway, so it was awesome to be able to enjoy that with Robert Pastrana, who's Travis's father. Uh, Travis's wife Lindsay was up there with their daughters in a just a mess of uh, extended family. But it was you know could not have had a perfect more better venue for the jump than the fleet reserve club. And we were up on that top deck because the launch ramp was literally right next to the fleet reserve club. It came right down the alley uh, adjacent to the fleet reserve club. But I mean, what a cool thing. I mean, this is Travis Pastrana. He's, as I wrote in my column, he's an Annapolis treasure. I mean, we have the world's most famous Action sports hero is an Annapolis native, and he repeatedly brings events to our area because he loves his hometown. He had a Nitro Circus tour event at Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium, and now he does this event, which really, in my opinion, raised the spirits of the entire town amidst the pandemic. And there was a huge crowds out there to watch, you know, people on top of buildings. I mean, it was just totally cool. And, you know, I'll let Ward jump in, but, you know, Travis Pastrana has done some amazing stunts. He jumped onto a barge in San Francisco Bay from about 350 yards away. He, the, we talked yesterday with his father about the Las Vegas stunt and the Caesar's Palace Fountain jump. That was extremely dangerous for a variety of reasons. Number one, he was jumping a pig of a bike. It was way too heavy. I mean, trying to mimic Evil Knievel, and we know what happened to Evil Knievel. He he came up short on the landing and tumbled head over heel and broke his pelvis. But you know, that's the one that had Robert Pastrana really worried because he knew the potential pitfalls. So, frankly, this jump over about 140 feet of Ego Alley was not that hard, and he proved it by doing it repeatedly. One, two, three, Bing, Bang, Boom. But yeah, Ward Ward nailed the video. When they finally got it right, 
and the, the rally car jumped Ego Alley just as the powerboat came speeding underneath. Ward nailed it and had the best video I've seen to date. Ward, why don't you try to talk about your experience? You had, we had some fun, didn't we, Ward? We had, we had fun. Uh, I, I was uh, just sitting at home looking at your coverage, and it sort of seemed like maybe I would have a chance to get down there. So I, I texted you, and you're like, yeah, come on down. So I rode my bike down to the Fleet Reserve. Um, and like you said, we were up on the, the top deck of the Fleet Reserve. And as you covered in your uh, Twitter uh, coverage, the, the launch went right by the Fleet Reserve. So it came down Newman Street across Compromise, and then the launch ramp was right there. So we had literally a bird's eye view of the entire thing. And so we got ourselves positioned. Um, at one point, we had a fantastic uh, perch. Uh, where we were going to be looking down on him. And one of the the producers was like, hey, you guys got to go away and get back on the other side. So we were good boys and, and did that. Um, and so, yeah, like like Wag said, uh, we we had a cool uh, uh, view. And, and we and so to, to Wags's point about Travis, so I, I've met him before, um, and he is the nicest guy in spite of his fame. Uh, you cannot overstate just how internationally famous he is uh, in the action sports world. Um, and he's very unassuming, understated, super bro kind of guy. His posse is very cool. And we got to talk to some of those guys uh, yesterday. It did feel like a family gathering because it was a family gathering. And so I thank Wags for letting me uh, show up there and, and, and hang out. And we, we talked to Travis's dad and, his wife and you know the grandkids and it was just really a celebration of being an Annapolitan for one thing. Um, but the other thing about Travis, he's like one of those in sports. So off the top of my head, I would list Fred Couples, Derek Jeter, and Tom Brady as guys who make it look easy in terms of the flow of their bodies. And so that's what Travis does in terms of how he jumps bikes, how he jumps rally cars how he jumps big wheels. He makes it look easy. He made, in spite of all the challenges that we were talking to his dad about with the replicating Evil Knievel's jumps, and we all remember, especially from my youth, we were all traumatized by the slow-mo of Evil missing that jump at Caesar's Palace. You, know, you can see his wrist break as it comes off the handlebars, and then he starts tumbling. And you know that was junior high nightmares for me. And then Travis did it. He made it look easy in spite of the fact he did replicate the weight and, and, and sort of speed of, of evil's bike. And his dad was talking about how that engine had overheated and Travis kind of semi ignored it. Um, so it was fun to talk, get some behind the scenes, uh, behind the scenes views of how that went. Uh, but it was a celebration of Annapolis. And as Wag said, Travis is very much loyal to the city in a way where he, he didn't have to be, and he doesn't have to be. Um, and so the crowds were everywhere that they were, they could have been on rooftops, um, lining Dock Street, so forth and so on. Um, and, and so it was really a fun day in the middle of uh, the pandemic. So the last thing I will say, and this is to John's point, the way WAGS captures it really does illustrate how WAGS has a heart and can come at an issue and a story like nobody else. So as we say, Travis Pastrana is a treasure. So too are you, Wags. And so thank you for caring. And that's the subjective part of being a journalist. And I love watching you work, Doctor. It was really fun. 
quickly switching gears, the other big story that broke yesterday before we get to Mike James, and, and thank you, Mike, for your uh, patience, um, is, uh, is the announcement of the Veterans Classic. So, you know, inching toward basketball season, which traditionally starts right around Veterans Day, and we usually see it start around Veterans Day with the Veterans Classic at the Naval Academy. The Navy hosts, the Naval Academy hosts three other teams. They come in, they get tours of the yard, they they uh, spend the night not on the yard but in the Weston, and then they then they play the game. And CBS does a great job covering it. Obviously, because of COVID, everything's changing with uh, college basketball. But but Wags was able to break something yesterday uh, that we do have one opponent. We don't have the multi-team format, but we do have one opponent. Wags, who's it going to be and when are we going to play him? Well, it's going to be the day before Thanksgiving. I think that's November 25th. Um, and it's George Washington. And that's who Navy was going to play in the original Veterans Classic Uh you know, Ed DeCellis had to go through a couple different iterations of the Veterans Classic. He had some heavy hitter teams coming in and then COVID hit and he realized that wasn't going to happen. So then he went for a format with local teams and he had set up for Navy to play George Washington and for St. Joseph's, which is coached by former Navy coach Billy Lang, uh, St. Joe's was going to play Towson. So he had this kind of local format. And then when the NCAA announced that the college basketball season could not begin until November 25th, which is two weeks after Veterans Day, uh, Coach DeCellis announced that Veterans Classic was off. It was scrapped. Um, so this isn't really the Veterans Classic, let's be honest. Uh, none of the elements of what make the Veterans Classic the Veterans Classic and a special event are really going to be present. However, the good news is CBS Sports Network is going to televise the Navy basketball game. And if if they hadn't had the relationship of the Veterans Classic, that wouldn't be happening. And obviously, CBS Sports Network feels it's important to dub this uh, the Veterans Classic for viewership interest. It's going to be a nationally televised game on noon on November 25th. That's And it is at this time going to be the very first college basketball game of the season. So that's exciting. Looking forward to covering it. Um, so yeah, no, uh, good, good thing. Good news for the Navy men's basketball team, which I think is going to be pretty good. They, they return a lot of talent. They return four or five starters and several key reserves. Cam Davis is the leader of the team and all Patriot league selection. So, uh, I think that, uh, the personnel's in place for this to be a successful Navy basketball season. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, definitely looking forward to basketball season. So, uh, but yeah, uh, the, the alligator closest to the boat as the expression goes is the university of Houston on Saturday. Um, so we're going to go to break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk to uh, Naval Academy Gymnastics coach Kip Simons and his uh, team captain, Max Gerber. And uh, then after that, we're going to bring in Mike James from Rivals and talk about the Houston game. Uh, so stick with us. This is Sing Second Sports. You're listening to Sing Second Sports with John Schofield, Ward Carroll, and special guest Bill Wagner of the Annapolis Capitol. If you like what you hear, hit like below and share with your classmates and friends. Let us know how we're doing. Hit us up on Twitter at WeSingSecond. That's at WeSingSecond. Now back to the pod. Hey, we are back. Awesome conversation. Um, yeah, just a ton of stuff happening uh, around yesterday um, with the uh, Travis Pastrana jump, the announcement of the, uh, of the uh, Veterans Classic. As always, Bill Wagner has the inside scoop and, um, and the bird's eye perch at the Fleet Reserve Club. But let's pivot 
and move to our uh, coach and athlete segment. Uh, this week, we're really, really happy to be joined by uh, two members of uh, men's gymnastics. First of all, we're joined by head coach Kip Simons. Basically, all you really need to know is he was a member of the 1996 U.S. Olympic team, and he was also inducted into the USA Gymnastics Hall of Fame in 2010. Uh, he is the head coach of uh, Navy Gymnastics, and we're so happy that he's joining us. Also joining us is his team captain, uh, Max Gerber. Uh, Max, um, thank you so much for joining us. I'm going to kick it right to you first. What's it been like? You're almost, you know, now about halfway through the semester. You know, what's online learning been like? And what have the challenges been like to be a student athlete, not only at Navy, but a student athlete at Navy during COVID? Yeah, um, well, it's definitely an adjustment. Uh, it, it has been. Uh, as far as online school goes, I feel like we've been in the groove of that for a while, starting uh, uh, last March. So um, now that we're transitioning back into the classroom, it's definitely making things uh, a lot easier. On the gymnastics side of things, uh, that's uh, pretty new for us. Um, but we've just been finding ways to adjust and, and adapt. Um, so I, I think it's been going really great. Uh, we're pretty much focusing only on the things that we can control. Uh, we can't control about you know all the COVID regulations and whatnot, but but what we can do is really just focus on on the work that we can put in uh, right now um, while we can and and see what that's like. So yeah, we've been doing well. The team has been doing great. The attitude's been you know phenomenal. So I'm I'm really looking forward to uh, pushing uh, forward into our season. Nice. So, Coach Simons, before I kick it over to Bill Wagner uh, for a couple of uh, for a couple of questions, what's it been like for you from a coaching perspective? You know, we we you and I were actually talking recently about you know the pressures on um, non revenue generating sports, so to speak. You know, and and here we are during COVID, and you look around, and you have Ohio State, and you have Stanford, and you have a lot of schools making really tough financial decisions. You know, from from your perspective, you know, with with all of your experience and all of your accolades, you used to be the head coach at um, at the U.S. Air Force Academy. So this isn't your first uh, rodeo with a with a service academy. So, you know, all the pressures, all the pulls, all the pushes. What's it been like for you? And and if you had a crystal ball, what, what what's it look like? How does how does gymnastics survive COVID? Right. Right. Great question. Um you know, I'm so fortunate to be, you know, at the Naval Academy and have the support from Mr. Gladchuck on down. You know, we've had those tough conversations because it has been a challenging uh, couple of months for the sport of men's gymnastics. And, and quite frankly, you know, a lot of non-revenue generating Olympic sports. Um, so we have to find a way forward. And um, I believe at this point, the USOC is, is getting involved. Certainly our governing body, the NGB for USA Gymnastics is getting involved and partnering with the NCAA because, you know, John, about if you look back at the Olympic teams for the last 20, 25 years, roughly 75, 80 percent of our Olympic teams are coming from um, these collegiate programs. And so we've got to find a way to, um, you know, again, we have to evolve. Um, we understand that, um, you know, we're not uh, the top tier. We're not football. We're not a big revenue generating sport. But what we can bring to a university is you know, the true meaning of a student athlete. When you look at what our student athletes do, I think our team GPA is right around a 3.2 right now. Um, graduation rates across the board with, with all 15 programs is, you know, up in the high 90s. We, we graduate our athletes 
um, they go on to, you know, to be leaders in their community and to be the next CEOs and, and certainly, you know, in our case, to go on to lead our country. So, um, you know, I feel confident um, that we're going to find a way to <clears throat> continue to be um, relevant within the NCAA as, as we move forward. Hey, Kip, Bill Wagner here. Um, when last Capital Gazette looked in on Navy gymnastics, you had scored a resounding victory over our tribal army. I was just rereading that article and it was pretty amazing to hear the quote from the army coach who said, Navy simply has higher level gymnasts and therefore can perform greater degree of difficulty routines than we can, which gives their ability to achieve higher scores, but we just can't match it. So let's talk on that topic because obviously the number one job of a Navy coach, and and I'll let Max weigh in, and because of Navy gymnasts, is to beat Army, and it appears as though you all have put some distance on the arch rival. I don't know what the streak is currently. I know there is a streak, and can you kind of talk about the fact that the way you've kind of uh, pushed past them is that you have uh, recruited higher-level gymnasts, and they can do more difficult routines? Right, right. Yeah, thank you. Um, great question. Um, you know, it starts with with the discipline um, and, and really it comes from the buy in within the guys. Um, you know, we sit down every you know August after Gettysburg and we sit down with the team captains and, you know, we go over what the values are going to be of, of this team. And, and it's it's me partnering with that team captain, me sitting down with Max and saying, you know, how are we going to beat Army? And it starts, you know, it starts in August and, and um, every single year Army is prepared. You know, they're a well coached team. Uh, Doug's been up there for over 30 years and, um, you know, we've, we've started to, like you said, put some space in between, but it's something that we never take for granted. Um, as soon as you get complacent, um, they're going to sneak up on you. And, um, you know, we, we have continued to be disciplined and do the little things that I think some programs aren't willing to do. And as long as we're, we're in there and we're disciplined and we stay humble and hungry then, you know, I think uh, I'm going to like where, where we stand as, as we match up against Army. And it's, it's going to be a battle this year. I know they've got five seniors. We've got five seniors that I know are chopping at the bit to go, you know, 4-0 against Army. And um, it, it's going to be a battle. And it's up, you know, in their, their neck of the woods. So it's, uh, we typically go early, early November. But due to COVID, we're, we're looking at actually pushing the star match all the way to mid to late uh, March. So again, the things that we're doing this afternoon and tomorrow morning at practice are absolutely going to impact the results of that competition in, in mid-March. Max, can you talk about, you placed at that meet uh, at several events. Can you talk about the exhilaration of Pound and Army? <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a lot of fun. Um, we When we look at the star match from a uh, back in the preseason, we, we treat that as like a, a championship event. So um, we kind of work towards peaking um, around uh, army and all academies. So definitely stepping into that meet, there's a lot of emotions. Um, and it's just, you want to put everything on the line for, uh, for the other guys in the team. So it's definitely, it's exhilarating just being there in the gym. It's electric. The crowds are, are loud. And uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely a lot of fun. You got to, sort of take it all in, step back and then and refocus and, and calm yourself. But I love it. It's the best part of being a Navy gymnast is, is that rivalry. So it's, I'm looking forward to it this year. Can you talk a little bit about a, the roster makeup and who you're going to be counting on in addition to Max and Toussaint. And then I also noticed the schedule's not posted. I don't know where you are with regard 
to schedule? Sure, sure. Uh, schedule, unfortunately, is, is changing, you know, by the day. Um, we had roughly four competitions set prior to, to March 15th. And then, you know, we've got some directives here in the last couple of days that don't you know, really plan on starting your season until around February 15th uh, or later. So we are going to lose some of those early competitions, obviously due to COVID. Um, we know we're going to see Army several times. Um, we believe the All-Academy Championships is going to be up at West Point as well. So Air Force probably will take Miller into, uh, into New York there. So we will be able to have the All-Academy Championships. We will be able to have the star meet. And maybe Army will come down here a couple of times. Other than that, we're hoping to, to sneak in Penn State a few times because we think they're going to have similar protocols um, as far as testing goes um, and the finances to be able to test their athletes. So um, <clears throat> at this point, we, the schedule is just changing you know, by the day. But hopefully here in the next couple of weeks, we'll get that solidified and we'll certainly make sure Alex gets that uh, posted. As far as the makeup of the roster, you know, we're really well balanced. Um, we've got five firsties that, again, are going to carry the lion's share. But this, this freshman class, um, you know, we've got just a, a bunch of studs. Uh, honestly, we've got eight really, really good freshmen that are going to come in. And they're going to be green. They're going to make mistakes. Um, but we're going to slowly, with that depth, we've got 24 on our roster. And on any given weekend, we can use 15 of those guys. So we're going to have the depth to be able to <clears throat> start getting those, those plebes out there and, and compete and raising their hands. But um, you know, certainly each one of the, the seniors, you know, you look at uh, Max Gerber here, our team captain, you know, he's certainly going to bring it on, on high bar, on parallel bars. Uh, he's always a, a great backup for us on Palma Horse and Floor. Um, Ryan McVeigh has done the all around plenty of times throughout his career, depending on how his body's holding up. But, you know, yeah, absolutely. David, uh, David Toussaint has, has been a rock star for us and he's going to continue to put up big numbers for us <clears throat> as well. Um, Jake, Jake uh, will go out and, and perform really well for us on, on rings and, and pommel horse. Um, it, it's a really well-balanced squad. And, and I'll tell you, everyone has a role. All 24 guys have a role. And that's, that's one of the values of our, our program is don't just rely on those top 15 guys. If you're number 24, you better find your role within this program or else, you know, you might want to look in a different direction. So I'll ask another quick one before kicking it over to Ward, uh, Ward, who we affectionately know as the Mitch Gaylord of our uh, podcast. Um, the, you know, Kip, you just, you recently celebrated, if we can use any verb that, that sounds like celebrate during COVID, your five-year anniversary as the head coach. And then right before COVID hit, you know, it's not like the gymnastics team is like some unknown entity in, in the gymnastics world. You know, right before COVID hit, you were the number seven ranked team in the country. You travel out to, to Berkeley and you, and you lay a smackdown over number 11 Cal, um, you know, and, and a, a performance that you were quoted as saying your most complete performance of the season. So what stands out to you in your five years you know, what, what's the signature win and, and, and how can you characterize the growth of the program since you took it over from show in, in, in 2015? Sure. Sure. Great question. Thank you. Um, you know, signature win, I would say would probably be my first, um, <clears throat> star. Uh, it was my, my first year here in, in 2016 and it was at home and, you know, being out at the air force Academy, I thought for sure that we were, you know, kind of on a level playing field as, as Army and Navy and the All-Academy Championships was, was a big deal. And we had won that, you know, for, for many, many years out there at Air Force. And boy, I had no idea that how strong Army-Navy really was. And, and until I got here and realized that, 
Air Force, you know, kind of wasn't exactly on the same playing field as that uh, storied tradition of, of Army Navy. And so that first victory, um, and also my coach, Peter Corman, uh, came down for that competition. And um, Peter was the head coach at the Naval Academy, 76 bronze medalists uh, from Montreal, first bronze medal in men's gymnastics in, in probably 60 or so years, and um, still a mentor of mine to this day. And, and um, I certainly would not have ever made an Olympic team or been where I'm sitting right now today if it weren't for Peter Corman. But um, again, he was the head coach at the Naval Academy from 79 to 89. So to have Peter there at the Naval Academy 25, 30 years later to watch me, you know, bring home the star uh, was, was a real special moment for me there back in, in 2016. Uh, another moment would certainly be the star again up at Army uh, two years ago. It is very, very difficult to win at Army. And we got ourselves in a hole. Um, it's our fault. We, we had an awful pommel horse performance. And right early on in the match, um, within the first half hour of the competition, we were down three points. And it's real tough to uh, to come back. And we just kept our nose to the grindstone. We just did, you know, did us. We did what we do. And at the end of the day, we ended up winning by a half a, half a point. And um, winning on the road up at Army is, is spectacular. Well, Max, um, the listeners can't see this on the Zoom call, but you're calling us from the comforts of your room in Bancroft, which does my heart good. And I'm sure it does our producer's heart good. Um, so what has life been like since reform till now in terms of the COVID environment? Is it getting more normal? Is it still weird? Uh, I heard one mid say it's sort of Lord of the Flies. Um, but uh, what, how's it going? Um, yeah, I, I can definitely see how it was Lord of the Flies uh, during the summer and uh, transitioning back into the academic year. But um, now that we're all here, uh, it's just been getting more and more normal, um, which is great. Like we're, we're getting Liberty, um, and, and we're really doing a good job in the hall of following all the, the COVID precautions. So, so that's helping us out, um, in a lot of ways, we're keeping the, the numbers down as best we can, but yeah, I think, you know, a lot of things are, are different. We can't really eat in King hall. Um, just a lot of the training is different. It's, it's more virtual, but we're doing the best we can with what we have. And, and I think that's a, a really good thing that we can bring into the, the fleet when we graduate. It's just that ability to adapt uh, to, to a new environment and learn something every day. So I think we're getting a lot out of it and uh, looking forward to it becoming more normal. But I think we're making good progress. Yeah, I, I love that outlook about, uh, you know, your posture to the fleet. So speaking of that, remind me, have you guys had service selection yet? We have not. We put in our preferences uh, back in August, and it, it's uh, in November, right, Max? Like that they announce it. Yep, November nineteenth. So, so what, what did you choose? I put down Navy pilot first. All right, that's what we called the right answer here on this thing second podcast. <laughs> Glad to hear that. Very well. Okay. Hey, Max, I'm going to jump in real quick. Um, you know, I don't. I guess you probably weren't born when Kip was on the 1996 Atlantic Olympic team, but I mean that was pretty exciting to be that he that he's an Olympian. He performed at the highest level that a gymnast can can perform. How what's it like to be coached by someone? And do you ever go back and look at the highlights and see old coach performing at the uh, 96 Atlantic Olympics? Yeah, of course. <laughs> we we watched it, watch those videos. Um, 
all time as a team. But um, yeah, it's it's definitely you know an honor to be coached by an Olympian. Uh, he was very successful in the sport, and he was like that for a reason. So um, it's just he's tough on us, and but I mean we wouldn't want it any other way. That's that's how we get better. So just learning from someone who's been there, compete at the highest level, can really uh, impart a lot of knowledge and wisdom on our team. So we we don't take it for granted. Does he make you watch the video like that scene in Ron Burgundy, you know, where like, you know, making everyone watch the uh, uh, that's hilarious. Well, no. uh, quick question for me, like what was the or who was the gymnast that you emulated the most as you were developing your love of the sport? You know, who did who did you try to uh, model your your game after? It was probably the, the 2008 uh, Olympic team. So uh, like Justin Spring, Jonathan Horton those guys um when i was i was like eight years old so you know getting older so that, that really uh <laughs> helped me out looking at nice this. well hey kip um we talked a little bit about facilities and as we wrap up here you know talk to me about the nicest building on the yard like you know there's there's hopper hall which is like you know, brand new cyber, you know, and a very close second in terms of quality of facility is, is McDonough, as we all know, right? Like easily the nicest building on the yard. You know, what, what can you tell our audience about what the future possibly holds for McDonough and, and how you're going to compete uh, if and when that building is either, you know, nuclearly bombed and and, and removed from the planet or renovated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be really disappointed when I, I can't, because typically when I'm coaching, sometimes I can get my shower in because there's a nice little drip, you know, from the ceiling there and I can bring some soap up and, and get my shower in while I'm coaching. But um, no, I mean, it's, I went through a renovation when I was out at Air Force and, and it's, it's a bear, um, but it's, it's so exciting. I welcome it with, with open arms, uh, please. And, and I think we're making strides. Um, and I know the superintendent, Admiral Buck, has um, put this at the top of his priority list and, and, um, it's, it's long overdue. And, and, um, you know, when you look at the mission, the physical mission of the Naval Academy, um, you know, we've got to take care and, and make sure that our mids have, you know, the, the highest and the best, um, as far as staying in shape and, and being able to work out. And, and that's, you know, that physical mission is there in McDonough Hall. And, and so <clears throat> when you look at, um, that, that building being renovated and we're going to go over to Halsey for about two years. And, um, and I think, by about 2024, 25, we're going to be uh, looking at a brand new McDonough Hall. It's going to be exciting. That is awesome. Well, we're all pulling for you. Um, my very last question is this steel cage death match, like Conor McGregor type of octagon scenario. You have, you have Tim Daggett and Bart Connor. Who, who wins? Who, who wins a steel cage death match between those, those two guys? Oh, great question. You know, uh, Tim Daggett, I tell you, he's, he's like a, um, like a thoroughbred that, that guy was a tank. Uh, so I've got to put my money on, on Tim. Um, he, he snapped his leg in half over at the world championships and you know, his leg snapping in half was echoed around the arena, uh, in Stuttgart and I believe 88. And, uh, you know, he came back and, and competed after that. So he's an ox. So I, I got to put my money on Tim on that one. Nice. Well, Max and Kip, um, Coach Simons, thank you so much. Yeah, it, again, uh, many more conversations to be had. The fact you were in Atlanta, um, you know, for the for the bombing in the '96 Olympics, some other names that were on that '96 team, both men and women. Carrie Strug, she of the being carried off the floor by Bella Caroli fame. 
Dominique Mociano, who went into the Hall of Fame with you uh, in 2010, kind of a big deal. Shannon Miller and then Dominic Dawes, Dominique Dawes, uh, a proud University of Maryland product. So, um, yeah, it, we definitely we definitely want to hear uh, those stories the next time you come on. As we go out, Max and Coach Simons, we play Houston on Saturday. Max, you're going to be there. What's your pick? Got to go with Navy by 100. Yes, perfect. <laughs> Coach? Uh, I know Kenny's going to have his man ready. I think it's going to be a tight battle, but I got a 24-21 Navy. Uh, hopefully you're better at picking games than Ward and Wags and I are. We're, uh, we're absolute amateurs at it. So, um, again, it, so, so happy you guys were able to, uh, to join us, uh, it, particularly during the class day for you, Max, and, and Kip trying to run practice this afternoon. We'll miss you on the golf course, Kip, but uh, we'll see you out there at the Naval Academy Golf Course in the future. Coach Kip Simons, Team Captain Max Gerber, thank you so much for joining Sing Second Sports. We're going to go to break, and when we come back, we'll talk to Mike James about how we're going to kick Houston's butt. This is Sing Second Sports. We'll be right back. You're listening to Sing Second Sports with John Schofield, Ward Carroll, and special guest Bill Wagner of the Annapolis Capitol. If you like what you hear, hit like below and share with your classmates and friends. Let us know how we're doing. Hit us up on Twitter at WeSingSecond. That's at WeSingSecond. Now back to the pod. All right, we're back. Um, so happy to be joined by Mike James uh, from Rivals. Uh, Mike, as, as Wags has oft said to us, uh, provides daily, weekly, very expert analysis of, of Navy football, uh, breaking down the matchups, breaking down what went right, breaking down what went wrong. Mike, thanks so much for joining the Sing Second podcast today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, yeah, for sure. So um, before I let you and Wags kind of go back and forth on how we win, what what we should be concerned about, who's the player on the other side of the ball who's going to hurt our head the most, from from your perspective, um, you know, how would you characterize the season so far? What's it been like, you know, as, you know, obviously none of us had a really good idea of how they were going to be. We certainly didn't expect to see what happened at BYU. So from your perspective, what's it been like so far? And then what do they take from that so far in order to be successful against Houston? I don't know if the team has ever really truly recovered from, from the way the off season went without having any contact and practices. I think physically they have, I think if you look at, the ECU game, there were moments where they were actually, I don't know if dominating is the right word, but they definitely established this, themselves as a, as a physical presence. But mentally, I'm not sure that that they've ever quite caught up yet. Um, I think, you know, Scott Strasmeyer put out a, a, a statistic that, that Navy has 22 players um, who are first-time starters this year, um, which is tied for the most in the country. And if you have all these kind of new faces on the team, you know, those are the kinds of guys that really would take, be able to do, that would need like a real spring practice and a real fall camp. And so you're seeing things like mixed reads in the option game. You're seeing things like two linebackers running this to the same gap uh, on defense and it's causing big plays. Um, And as the season progresses, things are getting a little bit better, but if in coach Tololo and Brian Newberry both said that if they want to compete against, against Houston, it needs to get, they need to take a big jump. It's time to, to really take it, to take the next step. And that's, that's really the challenge that, that we're facing this week. 
Well, I'll jump in. First of all, Mike James is a Naval Academy graduate. And, uh, you know, he's been covering Navy football now for a decade or more now, Mike. Yeah, it's uh, 12 years now. You know, I first discovered him when I found his breakdown videos where he would review the game and provide snippets of plays. And he would explain why the play worked or why it didn't uh, exactly what was going on. I mean, it was X and O's at the highest level with explanation that was spot on. And I found it to be an incredible resource. I still do. I can't wait every week to see his breakdown so I can see for myself what's happened and why what I saw in real time on the field either worked or did not work. And his videos are just incredibly illustrative and and helpful. And so uh, one of the things we saw in your most recent breakdown of the East Carolina game was that there were several instances when Navy was running triple option plays and Dalen Morris, the starting quarterback, had some missed reads. There was quite clear he should have given to the fullback and he didn't. He gets tackled in the backfield while Nelson Smith runs and could easily have run for eight yard gain because the, the hole was there. And then, you know, there are other times when he should not have given to the fullback and did and the guy got swallowed up. And then Tiger Goslin came in off the bench cold after Dalen got injured and Tiger promptly made several good reads. He took the ball outside and, and chose to keep and gained about seven, eight yards. And then there was a read where he had to give the fullback and sure enough, he did the fullback. uh, I think he scored a touchdown. That might've been one of Nelson's touchdowns, but you know, as you and I exchanged emails, it's a small sample size, uh, you know, and we don't know what happens in practices and meetings. And we know Navy's trying to, settle on one quarterback, but based off your evaluations of the ECU tape, do you think that, you know, it maybe is not settled just yet as to who is the best quarterback for this team running the triple option? You know, it was kind of confusing with the ECU game because you're right. Dalen did miss several reads, but a lot of those reads were reads that he made in the temple game. So I don't know if there was something that, that was, that was particularly wrong going into to last week. The one consistent thing, and you and I talked about it, and you mentioned it on, on the, the last podcast, uh, was when the, the pitch read, when, when Dalen gets strung out, it almost looks like he doesn't re- really feel comfortable running the ball. Usually when you get strung out, you might want to fake a pitch and get that, that pitch man to commit before cutting up field. But, but Dalen kind of, he kind of shuffle steps his way outside and he, he doesn't quite know exactly what he wants to do with the ball um against temple you know the slot backs ran for 82 yards you know they got involved in the game but what temple did for the most part was they came right after dalen they didn't they didn't slow play him as much they were they had a guy on the fullback a guy on the quarterback and forced the, the pitch outside and dalen did fine reading that but it's when you have that guy stringing him out that he just doesn't seem as comfortable knowing what what to do with the ball um and that's an issue this week you know i, I wrote uh, I wrote the preview for for the Houston game, and if you you look at last year's tape, you know that you know clearly you know J- Jamel Carruthers had a fantastic game against Houston last year, and you know coming in this year that Houston's going to be focusing on the fullback. So the, getting the ball outside, if they're that focused on on the fullback, is going to be be something that that Navy's going to likely have to do. And if they don't feel confident reading their way outside then that becomes pretty difficult. You can find plays where, um, you know, where you can design plays outside, but, but finding the right play can take a little bit of time. 
And this isn't the kind of game where Navy can afford to have a little bit of time um, because, you know, Houston, the way Houston's offense is, you know, it can be, you can't take two or three drives to figure out what you want to do because Houston will have you down 14, nothing before you, you blink before you even blink. So, so that, I think that's the, the, the biggest issue facing Navy this week is they either have to slow down Houston or keep up with Houston. And unless they're clicking on all cylinders uh, offensively, um, they, they won't be able to do that. You know, you were reading my mind, Mike, because I was going to be where I went next was with last year, Jamel Carruthers just gashed Houston. They used that fullback trap play repeatedly, and he was just ripping off huge chunk plays. I think he scored something like four touchdowns. Maybe it was five. I can't remember. But uh, obviously, Houston, if they watched the tape from last year, which of course they did, they're going to say, we've got to stop this fullback. And obviously, they've seen what Navy's done in the last two games where they've ridden the fullback hard, both Nelson and Jamel. Let's flip sides and talk about the other side of the ball. Uh, Houston's loaded. They've got Clayton Toon as a fine quarterback. And if he's given time to throw, he can sit back and pick you apart. They've got a very talented receiving core. You know, we there's a lot of American Athletic Conference products in the NFL now. Cortland Sutton with the Denver Broncos. James Prochet is with the uh, Baltimore Ravens. And I can go on and on uh, with the skill position players that are in the NFL. This guy, Marquez Stevenson from Houston, the wide receiver, he will be joining them. I guarantee you this guy's NFL caliber. What are you seeing from the Navy defense, Mike? Um, Because, you know, it's been a mixed bag there as well. Um, This is going to be a real challenge. And, you know, in your view, what can the Navy defense do to kind of slow down this very high-powered Houston passing attack? So by the time Navy played Houston last year, there was a little bit more film uh, on on the new Navy defense. And Houston made some adjustments where – they were able to protect Clayton Toon a little bit de- better than other teams had at that point. And what Houston did was that in a lot of plays, they just ran max protect. So they would leave the tight end and running back and, and, and maybe two tight ends in just to, to protect the quarterback um, and just run two and three man routes. And what would happen is that Clayton Toon had a lot of time in the pocket and as good as Houston's receivers are, they were able to get o- open with that much time. Um, so if, and that's kind of an issue if you look at this year's game, because Houston has probably the most experienced receiving core, um, in the conference this year and Navy's defense, you know, last week you saw, you know, freshmen and sophomores, uh, you know, I think five players on the Navy defense last week were either freshman or sophomore, you know, that's, that's kind of a bad, that's a bad matchup, you know, that that's an issue. Um, if there is one thing that I, I would say that might be a little bit of a wild card here is that. I don't think Brian Newberry has shown everything that he has yet this year. If you look at what they did against Temple and ECU, it was actually, I don't want to say it was watered down, but it was really simplified. And at first I thought that maybe it was things were simplified because they had so many new players in the defense, but there's a, a chance that they might've kept things. They wanted that Brian Newberry might've wanted to keep things off, off tape a little bit specifically for this game, because it was such um, it, it was such a, a, a departure last year from what we saw otherwise. So, so maybe coach Newberry has something cooked up, but it'll, it'll take uh, some getting to the quarterback because you don't want those wide receivers just running wild in the secondary. 
I agree with that assessment. And uh, I think you're right on the, to date, Navy's played some running teams. Temple, East Carolina were run first, um, especially East Carolina without their starting quarterback. And I do think we're going to see some exotic blitz packages out of Coach Newberry. Um, he may have been saving those up for the passing teams, Houston, and then next week, SMU. Um, last but not least, before we let you go, Mike, um, I'm about to write a preview in which I'm going to say there's a chance Navy may need to outscore Houston. And because of that, the offense is going to have to perform at a higher level than it has been to date. Um, what what do you think is the key to victory? And if you care to give a prediction, do so. Uh, if you don't feel comfortable, don't. But in your opinion, what is the key to victory? Is it hog the ball and keep Houston off the field? Or do you think that perhaps Navy's going to have to put up some points to keep up with this high-powered attack? Well, it's going to be both. Um, I think the, the biggest key for, for Navy is to be able to be efficient running the ball. Um, they can't wait for two or three drives to, to figure something out. They need to be able to run the option um, right away. They don't know what the game plan is for from Houston th- this year, so it's going to take uh, a little bit of, of learning on the fly, and they need to be able to run the option in, in order to, to do that. The roadmap for this game is the same for, for any other Navy game. They have to control the clock, limit possessions, keep the game close, and then uh, win in, in the fourth quarter. Um, and, and, you know, it's not, it's kind of cliche for, for Navy at this point, but, but there's truth to it. I mean, they, it, it's what they're going to need to do here. Well, I'll tell you what, um, it, it gets no better than that analysis uh, between Mike and Bill, uh, breaking it down, uh, what we expect to see uh, tomorrow uh, at Navy Marine Corps Stadium. So we'll join you um, tomorrow uh, via Instagram Live and some other means of uh, giving you updates during the game. I know Wags will be um, will be killing it from the uh, from the press box as as will Ward uh, from the sticks. Yeah, Chris Cervello and I will be uh, will be handling your social media. And again, so many thanks to Mike James for joining us. As we go out, I'm going to make a quick prediction. Uh, I am guessing Houston 34, Navy 26. Wags, what's your prediction? Yeah, John, I'm kind of where you are. I mean, the inconsistency of the Navy offense, some of the inexperienced things I'm seeing on defense, uh, Houston's a juggernaut. Um, but you know what? Here's the beauty. I've been wrong on my picks so far. And so if I choose Houston, that means there's a good chance Navy will win. So I'm going to go in the kind of the direction you're going. I'm going to say Houston 35, Navy 28. And let's hope that Wags continues his amazing streak of being wrong. Chris Cervello, our resident gambling expert, likes to call that grief insurance, as I do. Chris, the line right now is 14, somewhere between 14, 13.5 in Houston's favor. I would take those points and Navy if for our betters out there. And both of you would have, would fall into that category. So I'll take Navy with the points and I would put money on the over. I think this is going to be a high scoring game. The over right now, somewhere around 53, 54. I think they'll go above that. Thank you very much uh, to Mike James for the expert breakdown. Thank you, uh, Wags, for, uh, for your prediction and your analysis as well. And as always, thank you, Ward, for being our resident Tim Daggett on the uh, uneven parallel bars. For our Tim Daggett, for Bill Wagner, for Chris Cervello, a.k.a. Jimmy the Greek, and Mike James, I am John Schofield. We will see you next week. Look out for us on social media tomorrow and go Navy, beat Houston. We are out. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this pod are our own. 
and don't represent the views of the Naval Academy Athletic Association, the United States Naval Academy, or any organization for that matter. Play-by-play calls from the Navy Radio Network are used in the opening of the show and from time to time will be part of podcast segments. Thank you.